Good morning. And thank you, Ruth. We'll have a chance to speak with Ruth a little later in the service. For now, we have gathered as God's people. It's good to be together on a beautiful summer day to gather in the presence of the Lord, to set our hearts to focus on Him and to receive all that out of His grace He is giving. Our call to worship this morning, I've taken from one of the prophetic books, the book of Isaiah, and I've set it up as a responsive reading, so let's follow along. We'll read Isaiah 43 as we begin to enter the presence of the Lord. It begins this way. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls. Because I provide water in the wilderness, streams in the wasteland, to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim thy praise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our opening hymn of praise this morning is number 224. Rise as you're able and let's sing together. Rejoice, the Lord is King.
Amen and amen. Have a seat if you would. It's always a joy to gather with the uh, people of God and to give him praise. Again, I love to remind you of this as we start in the morning. I see each face through the course of the day as an answer to prayer. As I prayed this week, Father, bring those that you would gather. You are how God in his grace chose to answer that. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad as well that as we worship, we're also able to include folks by way of live stream or the recorded um, service so that we can be together in this way. Very thankful for that. A couple of announcements. First of all, after the service, I will not be doing my usual Q&A in the basement where we gather folks and have an opportunity to interact. Uh, that's because we will um, be doing a post-service uh, fellowship celebration time. Justin, why don't you come up here? I want to get everybody an opportunity to see you and connect. Part of why we're, we want to stay and have the fellowship is so that as many of you as need to have an opportunity to say hello to Justin Rito. That's all I'm going to ask him to speak of. No quiz, no. But Justin is going to be working with Celebration part-time as a music director to kind of enhance and extend our worship and praise ministry vocally, handbells, all kind of cool things. So this is the guy. Say hello to him. That's as much as I... A second thing you may want to do while you're uh, having coffee on the porch will be to say hello to our guest organist this morning, who's also a recently returned missionary, who's also a soon-to-be-departing college student. So Ruth, come up and say hello. And you're just back from um, uh, Spain, where you did a short-term mission thing. All those other things are happening in your life, so catch us up just a bit if you would. Like Pastor Will said, um, I'm Ruth, and I came back from Spain about a week or so ago. Um, and I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, what stuff we did there. Um, so first I want to say I'm really thankful for all the prayers and support um, this community has given to me. We really felt it in Spain. And um, a lot of the um, things we did in Spain for the community were community outreach events, especially connecting with families through um, the camp that we did, that we worked at. Um, it was a lot of um, connecting with the kids and the families and other members of the community who might not otherwise um, have a chance to interact with the church community there. Um, because in Spain, a lot of people, you can't just um, go up and give a good sermon to connect people. People don't listen, people don't care. You have to. Um, invite them in first through these kind of activities that we did. So I got to know the kids a lot and the discipleship families, and it was overall a really life-changing experience on both ends. Truth. <laughs> it's fun. We get to recognize the work that God is doing in our midst both here and to as far away as Spain. A couple of, a of slides we have. We're just about to, the, sure, the coffee on the porch. Thank you. They keep reminding me. Uh, stay afterwards. We're also celebrating. We're getting to the end of the season for our Great Escape Day Camp. This is a ministry we do five days a week uh, in the anchor building. Uh, 
we've involved upwards of 156 campers. We were able to train staff to work with them, kids get fed, all of this going on through the summer. It's been a great summer. You would have seen some things in the celebration in form about that, so make sure you get to be a part of that. Um, another thing that will launch next Sunday for a week, we're going to work with Movement West Michigan. Many of you know Corey Plockmeyer, who will preach here from time to time, um, a pastor connected with our church, but who works in the community. His organization will be facilitating Pray for Our Schools, a week of focused prayer for all the different schools that will be starting up here in Ottawa County. You would have a link to that in your celebration in form, or you can see it on our heartofwhite.com site under the news and events. Make sure you find a way, particularly growing out of this summer series on prayer, to invest all that you've learned, all that you can for an hour, we're going to ask, to pray for our schools. Finally, I hope you see in these activities our ministry highlights, the way we're trying to work out our mission statement, that we believe Jesus is calling us as Hardawike to invite everyone to join the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Christ. Everything we do, we ask, is it connecting to this calling that God has given to us in that way? Well, as I mentioned, we're preaching through the Lord's Prayer, expositing uh, section by section. We'll continue that. But I've also been able to use the teaching of the Heidelberg Catechism, question by question, that's doing that same thing. So as we head towards the sermon with that in mind, I want to do question 128 that focuses on the doxology. Uh, here's the question we'll start with, and then you'll have the answer. What does your conclusion to this prayer mean? For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever means we have made all these petitions of you because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and good to give us all that is good. And because your holy name and not we ourselves should receive all the praise forever. Hymn number 521. Uh, let's stand as you're able and we'll sing, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
Amen. And have a seat if you would. At this point, let's take a moment, breathe deep as it were, and enter deeper into the presence relationship with God. And let's pray together as a congregation. Join me if you will. Father, we thank you that because of what Jesus did on the cross for each of us and for all humanity, the doorway has been opened to enter the throne of grace as deeply loved children. We thank you that by your grace you have called us and by the faith that you have given us, we respond and say, Abba, Father. Father, we have needs, we have opportunities, there are people we love. And so we bring them to you in all the fabulous variety of need and hope. This morning we pray for Heart Awake Ministries as a whole, that you would guide us. Help us to discern the times, to navigate graciously and kindly, but focus on a truth once and for all handed down to the saints. Thank you for the gift of the gospel that you have given your people. We pray for Pastor Aaron and for Watershed as they minister across the parking lot, as it were, but close in our hearts. And just across the hall, Pastor JB and Fusion, as they prepare to worship you and then again come together uh, for the preaching of your word and life as the congregation. We pray for Pastor Florencio, who'll be right here where we are in just a few hours with the flock of Mission. We thank you and are reminded that the gospel and your kingdom is bigger than us as he'll proclaim the message of grace in Spanish. Father, you've called us as a particular expression, portion as it were, of the body of Christ on planet Earth. We thank you that you've called us to celebration and that you are equipping us to give you glory and to extend your kingdom to the blessing of this, your world. It's been a week of weddings and of hospice care, a week of all sorts of anniversaries. In the midst of all these things, Father, we thank you that your grace would equip us to care for one another, to share joy, and to share as well the burdens of life. Bind us together as your people. Give us uh, open hearts and conversations that protect and inform, and give us opportunity to pray. We've watched the fires in Maui, and we recognize the moment of our history, that we're living on a planet in a very different state between population and, and use, the challenges on resources and people. Make us good stewards of the creation you have uh, lent us, as it were. Help us to live purposefully for your glory. We pray for the state of deep confusion and the challenges that seems to surround us in this historical moment, and for the growing levels of, of stress that just seem to reside in the background whether for ourselves or for our neighbors or for families and those we love. We pray that you would lead us deeply into the gospel, that we might be instruments of your grace, that we might bear the fruit of the Spirit for the blessing of all that you bring us in contact with. Thank you, Father, that this we know and this we see, the cross of Christ where he died for me. Draw us to that great hope. 
Father, your word teaches us in 1 Timothy 2, 1 2, to pray for those in authority over us. And so we choose to pray in a regular, disciplined, systematic way. This week for local government and agencies, that would include Holland City and Park and Holland Township, Ottawa County, the various administrative boards and committees and bureaus, the uh, people at work, both elected and uh, hired. We pray for the rule of law, for the extension of your grace and leadership. Thank you that you would guide their hearts as a river in uh, your hand. Father, bring the sort of peace and expression of fruitfulness and community that your spirit would be at work to do. We pray too for school boards with the coming start of school. We thank you for Corey and Movement West Michigan that are helping churches all through Ottawa County pray for the schools. And so whether public or private, charter schools, home schools, every place over the next several weeks, every setting where people will interact to help cultivate the life of children, we pray your grace would be present to protect and to heal, to guide, to shape after the good things of your gospel. Father, we pray for the work of missionaries sent out from Hardawike. We thank you for Ruth's chance to be a part of that. We pray for Zach and Christy Yoder in Nigeria as they work with um, Nigerians translating the scriptures into various native tongues as they bring the gospel to strengthen churches and the believers in that country and those communities. Father, uh, extend their work even as you protect them. We pray this summer, Father, would be, uh, as we draw to a close, but a life of growing in prayer, that as each of us seeks to respond to you one step forward, that you would cultivate a deep rootedness in all that you have for your people here, that we might take the fruit of that root into the community you've called us to. Continue to teach us to pray with the words that Jesus taught us as we pray one heart, one voice, one mind, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. We're in the series, Teach Us to Pray, and it's a particularly good title for the text I'll be looking at today. Let me set some things up before we read here. We've talked about how the words of the Lord's Prayer, like we just prayed, are meant to be a model for us, not a mantra. It's a, a framework around which we build our daily life of prayer. Think of it as the headings in an outline, and then each morning, each evening, whenever you pray, you start with those headings and kind of fill in, in your heart and mind, or a prayer journal, the full prayer that God would call you to. Through this summer, I've tried to be real clear that this seems to be the model that Jesus himself prayed with. 
Uh, we see it uh, guide the prayers of Jesus that are recorded in the Scripture. Uh, it's the same model repeated multiple times out of the mouth of Jesus in the Gospels. We've been looking at the Lord's prayers recorded in Matthew, and that was part of the Sermon on the Mount where he spoke publicly. He gave this model for prayer in a public setting. Today we're going to look at the same prayer in the Gospel of Luke. This time he's asked in response to a direct question. His disciples have seen him pray, and now they approach him and say, teach us to pray. He gives them the same model that he'd been given publicly. He sticks with this model, this framework. We ought to let that shape us as well. I'm also wanting to focus on the parts that follow that. The scripture says here, then Jesus said, so he taught this model and then elucidated it some, developed it with the metaphors that follow. So we'll look at those. This is a model prayer, and it's followed by that specific teaching on the importance of asking and the importance of asking specifically for the Holy Spirit. So hear that as I read. Uh, at this point, out of uh, appreciation and reverence for the Scripture, I'm going to ask as you're able, go ahead and stand, and I will read from Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> one day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He, that is Jesus, said to them, that is the disciples, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus went on to say to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Will I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. That's a description of a prayer life. Shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, he's climaxing now to the key uh, point of this teaching, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat if you would, please. Let's turn to the Lord and pray. Father, we thank you uh, that you have given us the words of Scripture, that Luke, who says he checked with eyewitnesses, that he made sure the words were true, recorded these 
would have carried them with the missionary journeys he shared with Paul. We can just see that working out in the early church. And now by your grace, these words have been um, brought to us across centuries so that we might unroll the text as it were, translate, study, pray, ponder. But most of all, we pray that you would continue your good work, Holy Spirit, of inspiration from the beginning recording to the preservation to now the illumination of our hearts and minds, that we might receive all that you have for us. Thank you for your kindness and goodness to us. Be with us, for we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. I have a friend with a six-year-old and he and his wife are teaching their child to pray and they're using this model prayer each day. But I'll tell you something about this six-year-old. The six-year-old is not fluent in King James English. And so when this six-year-old came across a King James word, thine, had never heard it, had no idea what it meant. But the way we handle language as we're learning would step into this. Mine is the glory and the kingdom and the power forever and ever. Now, if you've ever been a parent of children, you know that's part of what discipling a child is about, moving from the natural mine to the rescued and redeemed thine. It's a funny way to start for me as we look at this particular portion of the Lord's Prayer. We usually identify this as the doxology fragment of the Lord's Prayer. And doxology is an English word based on two Greek words. Doxa, uh, words, logos. I, I'm sorry, logos words, doxa, praise. These are praise words. And they're words of praise that we typically pray at the end of the Lord's Prayer when we pray together. But I want to note something here. This section was not in the scripture text we read today. Did you notice that? We prayed it in the Lord's Prayer, but it wasn't in Luke. Even more unexpected, perhaps, if you dig a little, if you read Matthew's record of the model prayer, it, like this passage in Luke, does not include the doxology, thine is the power and the glory and the kingdom. It doesn't include it in the New International Version or the ESV or any of the modern translations. It is included in the classic King James. So there in Matthew, it's in King James, but not in the NIV. Why is that? Now, I'm not going to go into the weeds here. I could, but I am trying not to give you a two-hour college lecture. That said, what I'd say very quickly, thine is the kingdom. This is part of a newer translation from older manuscripts. What does that mean? It means that with the New International Version, we have a newer translation. We don't just use King James English anymore, so we wanted a translation of the Scripture that uses how we speak. New translations are good, but it's also from older manuscripts. A lot of folks don't realize this. You see, since the King James, we've needed to do translations. Language changes. But we also have older manuscripts. 500 years of archaeology have gotten us closer 
to the pen of the secretary who was taking dictation from Paul or Luke as he worked on writing his out. So we actually have older manuscripts than the King James had. Interesting. So you read in the New International Version a newer translation of older manuscripts. That's why I'm committed to that and perfectly happy to go with it. You could see I could dig into a lecture here about manuscripts and transmission and how you evaluate this, that, and the other. I have given you two just little blurbs of information in the sermon outline. You'll see, for instance, the amazing abundance of manuscripts we have of the New Testament, different than any other ancient literature. That's why we can dig in and have a better sense of what really is the oldest. You'll see as well a quotation from um, uh, Wikipedia that explains that a bit. And that's not because Wikipedia is a good and reliable place to go for New Testament scholarship, but it's an example of how broadly based this understanding of the huge number of manuscripts and the clarity with which we can read the words of the Bible. It's amazing and powerful stuff. Please never let anybody try to talk you into thinking, there's a conspiracy. These ancient words have been held from the regular people and they're trying, the people in power are trying to be that. I had an experience. I, I love my sons-in-law. This is not about them. But there was a young man dating a young woman that I know who had seen a movie. And he came to our home after that movie and he said, I know you're a pastor, but there are books of the Bible that the church won't let out. They give you a whole new understanding of what it means about God and this and that and this and that and this. And I said, hold on a minute, just a minute. And I went down to my office and I pulled a book off my shelf and I went up and said, do you mean this book? And he said, how did you get that? Oh, we've known about this for years. And the reason no credible scholar, Christian or human has sensed it was reliable about the picture of Jesus is because, and I began to just open and read it. There's lots of stuff out there, but we have good reason to trust the scripture. If you'd like to know more, let's get together for coffee. There's honest questions that deserve honest answers. I'm thankful that God has spoken into human language and that we can open the books of the Bible and that the Holy Spirit can speak to our hearts and minds. This final conclusion I want to give to why I'm glad to pray the doxology, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's because, friends, um, praise is always appropriate in prayer. That's the point I want to get to here. Praise is always appropriate in prayer. It looks like this doxology is actually rooted in a biblical doxology from 1 Chronicles chapter 29. First uh, Chronicles 29 reads like this, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. So friends, as the church prays, 
responding with praise as a part of our prayers, perfectly appropriate. That's how I hold those things together. You can look through the scripture at a number of doxologies. Paul writes it in Romans, for him and through him and for him all things, to him be the glory forever, amen. It's as if the writers of the scripture inspired the Holy Spirit will speak or pray and then burst forth almost into spontaneous praise. Praise connecting with our prayer is always appropriate. That's the final place I want to land with that, and so that's why I invest a little time there. But the teaching that follows Luke's recording of the Lord's Prayer is really focused on asking, and not simply asking for anything, but asking, keep on asking, and ask specifically for the Holy Spirit. That's how I'd summarize verses 5 through 10. According to Jesus, we need to realize that it's never wrong to ask God the Father, period. Always be willing and ready to ask. Frankly, when I'm discipling someone, when we're sorting through and talking about what it means to grow in Christ, and they will share with me, we know I'm not sure I can ask this of God. My response is always, no, God wants you to ask. Based on these verses, God wants us to ask. A key scripture, and it roots all the way back to one of the oldest books in the Bible, is the book of Job. See, friends, asking is engaging. That's why, that's the motivation behind this instruction to keep asking. Perhaps you know the story of Job in the Old Testament. A good and righteous man begins to suffer. His life blows up and melts down. In the course of his suffering, five friends come, and for a number of days, they have great advice for him. Learn from this. They stay silent. Sometimes the best advice you can give someone is to just join them. Just join them. But in the midst of the conversation that follows, Job writes this in Job 13, 15. Though he slay me, speaking of God, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. See, in this conversation with his friends, we see Job's heart. He continues to pursue God. He's engaging God in the midst of his suffering. And that's important because we also see here that Job is confused about God. Have you ever been confused about God? You have. The question is more, have you ever been able, willing to admit you are confused about God? Part of maturity is that we go day by day, step by step, deeper into knowledge and relationship. You get there by asking. Though he slay me, friends, Job is wrong about that. It is not God who is slaying him. Read the book. There is a transcendent evil that's bringing suffering into Job's life. And it's not God. Oh, God is sovereign. It couldn't happen to him apart from God's purpose and counsel. But believe me, it is not God tormenting Job. He thinks it is, but he's wrong. 
Still, Job is right to continue. In the face of his confusion and suffering, he says, I will still pursue him in hope. Yet in hope will I place in him. A little later in the book, if you read the whole thing, Job will come face to face with the Lord. And in the presence of the Lord, Job will no longer try to defend his ways. He will give up on the very bad idea of, I will surely defend my ways to God. He will experience and see God is bigger than me. God's purposes are beyond my understanding on occasion. So Job will no longer defend his ways, but he also does not need to defend his ways. Why? Because he approaches God in his confusion and suffering. He wants to defend his ways. He's thinking an answer will bring comfort to his heart. And sometimes an answer will not, but God gives us instead what will, his own presence. Job never really gets a good answer to why he's suffering that we see in the book. What he does get is an encounter with a living God and suddenly even his suffering looks different. Even his experiences in life look different. Friends, I want to tell you something. It's important to realize you cannot ask someone that you are ignoring. So when you are asking, you have moved beyond ignoring God. And that's a good step. Never hesitate to ask. Ask the Lord. Engage him. Just don't run from or ignore the Lord in your pain and your confusion. Ask. But be aware that when you ask... He may answer you by making you a different person. See, we can be made different by God's answer. We ask for one thing, we get a different answer. It makes us different people. We see this in the life of Job. I see this in the life of people that I pastor. I've walked through it myself. If God wanted to teach you that he could be a deep comfort in the midst of grief, what would you first need in your life to learn that lesson? You're going to need grief in order to discover the comfort that God can bring. You can read a book about God bringing comfort to people in their grief. But let me tell you, when you find yourself in a moment of deep loss and sorrow and pain, you then have the opportunity to ask God and he will answer in his way about his comfort. He may bring that from the word of a friend. He may bring that with a circumstance. He may minister deeply and sovereignly to your own heart and spirit and mind. But it's people who faced grief and found comfort in God that learned the lesson, not people who read books as a guy who's read a lot of books. I've learned more about God's comfort in my grief by being in grief and finding his presence. You see, prayer cannot be explained or justified as no more than an imminent experience. I touch this from time to time, and this is the perfect time to do it again. We are trained, we are schooled, we, we breathe it in in our world to think 
strictly in terms of this imminent, I call it an imminent frame. If you try to explain the world in terms of biology and physics or economics or social forces only, you will never understand either God or prayer. Prayer is the point of intersection between what's transcendent and outside the imminent and the imminent itself. When you and I pray, we don't simply gather benefit in the imminent frame. Have you ever had somebody say, oh, well, you know, when you pray, it's going to bring you peace and calm and you'll be a, a better person. Eh, sort of, yeah. But even more than that, when we pray as believers, we encounter something transcendent and beyond us. Expect for prayer to make you different, to find yourself in circumstances that God may yet want to change you. Could it be? So prayer will make us different because it's an encounter with a transcendent. Know this, because of the gospel, and this is a marvelous invitation to know Christ as Savior, people outside of Christ can't do this. Believers can ask as adopted children. Paul writes in Romans 8 that the Spirit is at work within us to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, Paul writes, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. Now, let me say real clearly, the term there for sonship is not about gender distinction. We're, that's the hot issue in our culture right now. We read sonship and we think gender distinction. Paul didn't have that in mind at all. It's instead about inheritance. The Spirit cries within us, firstborn inheritor of everything. It's about adoption, not gender. So read that and understand that God calls us to a full and rich inheritance of His love and of His grace. In Christ, all the distinctions of the world suddenly make no consequence. Here in Romans, Paul is talking about inheritance. And so when we ask, when God answers in a way that shapes us, we're always asking and receiving as deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great king. Can you trust God? Is he good? These become some of the questions we need to ponder in our heart. Are, do we have false answers to those? If you think God is only good to you when you are good, if you think his goodness depends on you first being good, friends, that's confusion. Know that God is good. And as you ask and engage and encounter him, his goodness will shape your life. He's not waiting on you to be good so that he can bless you. He is seeking you to shape you and to guide you and to work in you more than you could ever ask or think or imagine. Now, will it be comfortable? Sometimes no. I remember about two days after a pretty significant hip surgery, waking up and realizing that as desperately as I needed that surgery, I felt worse. The doctor had done what I paid him to do. 
I am now better. But immediately after that surgery, it wasn't immediately because I was still under the anesthetic for a day or two. Once I came out, I realized, man, I'm worse off, but over the long run. Friends, let that guide you and realize sometimes prayer is about the long term, not the short term. That's why we walk with each other through the long term. That's why relationships are meant to help carry us. And you see here why Luke records the words of Jesus writing at the end, ask for the Holy Spirit. Friends, the call to prayer is a call to enter into relationship with the Holy Spirit. We have much to learn about the Holy Spirit and our prayer. See, prayer is an activity at that intersection of the imminent life, as I've said, and transcendent reality. Authentic Christian prayer can only occur in connection with the Holy Spirit. Now, often to hear something like that can feel confusing or threatening. We think of the Holy Spirit as a particular experience or feeling something that happens to us. And so we end up chasing a particular experience or reducing the Holy Spirit to being no more than a a force. I don't know what they were talking about in the movie, but the Holy Spirit is vastly more than a force. Because a force, you then need to learn how to use. The Holy Spirit revealed in Scripture is a person. Now, he's not a physical or human person like me, but he's a person in that the Holy Spirit has personality. Let me give you a concrete example. I have human personality. You could say this, Pastor Bill likes word humor. A synonym of that is Pastor Bill has lame humor. That's my personality. The Holy Spirit has personality. You can trust the Holy Spirit to work in you for gentleness, kindness, and self-control, if the Bible's true. You won't expect the Holy Spirit to work in you to create belligerence or anger or fear. The Holy Spirit is who the Spirit is. The Holy Spirit has purpose. Again, a concrete example. Human purpose means I'm going to the grocery store, not to the car wash. I'm going here, but not there. For the Holy Spirit, purpose is teaching you to find security and trusting the Father, not in your bank account. You want to know how I learned that I could trust the Father for provision more than I could trust my bank account? We were in a season where we had no bank account, and God was still trustworthy. Oh, Pastor Bill, we were looking for a different religion. You know that one where you can have your best life now? Sorry. We preach the gospel. God is sovereign and good and at work in your best interest. Follow him, engage him, bring him your suffering, your confusion, your fear, but let him change you in the context of that relationship. See, the Holy Spirit has come to guide us into all truth. John 16, 13. Friends, the ways that we enter into that truth is through relationship with the Spirit. Let me paint a picture of something our world has forgotten about, the truth. And I mean the truth that the Spirit will guide us into. Namely, that no one person or group has it all. Here's a picture of what I mean. I want you to imagine for yourself. 
you're driving west on Ottawa Beach Road, and I'm going to put you in a Ferrari. Is that all right? So you're driving your Ferrari down Ottawa Beach Road towards the state park on west. I'm in my Honda at 160, and I'm headed south, and I cross over, and there's a crash. Now, your perspective of what happened will be different than my perspective. And lo and behold, providentially, Wood TV has their camera drone flying overhead and watches the whole thing. There's another perspective. I want to tell you the truth is what happened. You have a perspective on the truth. I have a perspective on the truth. The camera has a perspective on the truth. But the minute somebody says, I need to speak my truth, I encourage you, be concerned. I'm very interested in other people's experience of the truth. But the minute you take a partial truth, a perspective, and present it as if it's the whole truth, you can rest assured you have an untruth barking up your tree. The Spirit wants to lead us not into my perspective of the truth, not even into only your perspective into truth, but God's perspective into all truth, step by step, bit by bit. Frankly, friends, because as limited human beings, we have different experiences of the one truth, your view, my view, the one crash, we actually need each other to have a deeper sense of what the truth is. That's what the Holy Spirit is doing. Finally, the Spirit is critical to our prayer. Paul writes in Romans 8:26, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. For there means in my place. The Spirit prays in my place. The indwelling Spirit leads and guides, gives me words for prayer. I'm too sick to show up for work, so my colleague stepped in for me. I'm not sure what to pray, so the Holy Spirit prayed for me. Friends, the invitation to prayer that we've tried to cast every Sunday through the summer, the invitation to take a step deeper in your prayer life stands before us. I want to close this morning by introducing uh, to you a guy who's shaped my life through books about him, through his own writings. He's a fellow by the name of Reese Howells, and that's the title of the first book I ever read about him. Reese Howells is Welsh from Wales. They have a particular prince, I think, but that's another story. He was born in 1879, and he died in 1950, well, before even I was born. As a young man, Wales is fairly impoverished. He emigrated to the United States, and while there, he came to a personal faith in Jesus. He came back home at about the age of 20 and was deeply involved by the Welsh revival. That's where I first studied him in my own work. He and his wife then moved as missionaries to Africa, but they returned to found the Bible College of Wales in 1924. 1924, Bible College, do the math. What was on the stage of world history in 15 more years? Adolf Hitler, World War II, Reese Howells, the Welsh Bible College. 
By the spring of 1940, Nazi blitzkrieg was rumbling across Western Europe. The Netherlands, Belgium, France, all were quickly overrun. The British troops that were a part of holding that off were being pushed back towards the English Channel step by step. Let me read to you some excerpts from Reese Howells in his own handwriting, his own prayer journals in this time. May 18, 1940. That day he prayed that God would bring disaster on the Nazis. May 19, the next day. The destiny of England will be at stake today and tomorrow. There is an enemy that we must keep in check. Now to history. May 24, Adolf Hitler orders his panzer tank crews to halt their advance. Now let's go back to history. April, on May 26, the Nazi blitzkrieg restarts. As that happens, Prime Minister Winston Churchill calls all England to a day of prayer. Now, also in history, during this time, English troops have been pressed back by the Nazis, but submarines patrol and sink or drive off ships in the English Channel. The French beaches were all shallow and prevented large troop transport ships from getting close to the shore anyhow. At that same moment, Reese Howells and a called group of 100 committed intercessors locked themselves in to the Bible College, praying nearly around the clock. Back to history. May 27, Churchill called for all available civilian boats to prepare to cross the channel. May 28, the English Channel that morning was calm and covered by a thick bank of low clouds. The light shore breeze on the French side pushed the smoke from the war-ravaged land just over the beach. And a thousand little ships of Dunkirk is what they called it, said sail. Now in their preparation, Churchill and his advisors had hoped to rescue 45,000 of their troops to fight the Nazis on another day. But by June the 4th, 338,226 soldiers had been safely ferried from Dunkirk to England. The top line is what they hoped for. The bottom line is what happened. Friends, I want to tell you, there are such things as world leaders. There are Churchills and Hitlers and Roosevelts and Stalins. There are soldiers. We're thankful for them. They're brave. There are civilians. They suffer. There is death in this broken and crazy world. There is suffering and destruction. But there are also intercessors. There is Reese Howells and his hundred in that moment. The question I put to you is this, who will be the intercessors in our moment? Who will be taught and led by the Holy Spirit? Not performing endless repetitions of the Lord's Prayer, but instead formed by the Lord's Prayer, having prayed it like Jesus did daily for years formed and shaped so that as we meet and obey the Holy Spirit, an interaction of transcendent nature, we're called as intercessors. Do we need to inter, uh, organize, do other things? Oh, yes, maybe. But will God find intercessors? That's our goal. That's our calling. There'll be a, 
All of us will be called to pray. There'll be a few here that will hear this story of Reese Howells and say, this could be me. I want to be a part of that. All of us pray. Some are called as gifted intercessors. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your marvelous grace that you take simple people, an impoverished son of a Welsh coal miner, and you lead him through circumstances in life so that in the hour of need, while great leaders and brave soldiers and stalwart civilians press on, that intercessors press in. Father, I pray you'd speak to each of us to call us deeper into the life of prayer, to step away from simply an imminent frame in our thoughts about the world and to pursue the transcendent encounter with your gospel and the Holy Spirit. Equip us all to take one step forward. Equip us each to uh, rest in your goodness and kindness. Guide us, we pray. Most of all, Father, change our hearts, make us different because of what we pray and who we pray to. Before we sing, I'm going to just ask that we repeat together and use the words of this gospel heart of white gospel meditation, as I call it. Let's pray together, and then we'll worship. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for me and for all humanity, I am not my own, but instead, by the working of His grace, I am a deeply loved and fully adopted child of the great Creator King. Jesus has loved me first and loved me as I am right here and right now, not as I should be or could be. He has also given the Holy Spirit to work in me, transforming me day by day into His likeness. In that way, Jesus increasingly works through me as He brings about the restoration and reconciliation of all creation. Holy Spirit, help me to believe this and increasingly see the evidence of Your work in my life, values, and action. It is appropriate as the people of God encounter the living God through prayer that we give Him praise. Our hymn is number 187, stand as you're able. Thine is the glory, risen conquering Son. Let's sing to His praise.
friends received the benediction, uh, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this, receive it this day. And now to him who's able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thank you.